Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel 31, we're finishing our study of 1 Samuel. It's a great history book. Of course, uh, we're going to go straight into 2 Samuel. There's going to be, it's a continuation of the narrative. We're going to see, of course, Saul is going to die in this passage. It's really sad. We read it already. David eventually is going to become the king. When I say eventually, it actually is seven years uh, before David becomes the king over all of Israel. And we'll talk about that, how it fits together. It, we're gonna, it, we end on a sad note. He, we've been looking at history and the nation of Israel, and we've been looking at really three key things. Uh, Samuel, who was, gosh, he was probably the great man. And it's the whole first part of the book deals with Samuel. He was the prophet, priest, and the final judge. He was the prophet, and everything he ever spoke came true. He was the great priest who offered sacrifices and represented the people to God. And then he was the final judge. The Hebrew word for sofa team actually means a deliverer. He was a deliverer. So Samuel was a great man. He died. Saul was the first king of Israel. He started so well, but he, he rejected. He was rejected by God because he actually rejected God. Uh, doesn't mean he wasn't a believer. He was a believer, but he was living for the Lord. And then he quit. He quit. And he started living for himself. He became a man of the flesh, uh, jealous of David, did a lot of uh, really terrible things, and we'll see it as we go through it. And then, of course, the third person we've been looking at is David, and he's going to be the second king. He's already been anointed as the king. He'll come to power, and he's got a man. He's a man after God's own heart, and it's just amazing to look at his life. And we've seen some ups and downs. For a while, David has been doing so good. And then for these last couple of chapters, he hasn't done that well. In fact, he went to live with the Philistines. And we'd say, that doesn't even seem right, that David is down living with the enemy. And he is. He lived there for 16 months. And we'll talk more about that. This morning, the final battle, the battle between Saul, Saul with Jonathan, and they fight the Philistines. Last time we saw David's great victory over the Amalekites, but this morning, we're going to see that Saul is defeated by the Philistines. We knew that was coming. And uh, in fact, because God used Samuel to tell uh, Saul that. There are a number of things we find in this passage, but let me just give you some things to think about. First of all, the sovereignty of God. Because we're going to see that even in the midst of destruction that Israel loses, they don't have leadership, they don't have anything, God is still in control and God is still working. And sometimes in our lives, there are things that happen, and we go, why is that happening now? Why did this happen? Why? And we still have to remember that God is in control. Second, God's word always comes true. We've seen it in the life of Samuel. We see what he's, what he's told Saul, and we'll see it will come true exactly. And that means we need to know the Bible, apply the Bible, and teach the Bible, and then finally realize that every life, each life touches others. Sometimes we think, my life doesn't really matter, and it doesn't matter what I do, and nobody really cares, and that kind of thing, but you realize that your life touches other lives and makes a difference. And so, as we think about this, um, I remember when I was a boy, I used to watch ABC Wide World of Sports. And if you're old as me, you remember ABC Wide World of Sports. It would always start out by saying, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And there are times in lives that, especially in sports, when you win and when you lose. And, you know, in sports, we don't ever want to lose. We always want to win. Think about the Christian life. We want the same thing. We want to have victory in the Christian life. And we found out that, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to have victory in the Christian life, it's in God's power through us so we can have victory. Now, let me remind you as we get into this passage what we've seen. Last time, we saw David as he gained a victory over the Amalekites. They had uh, came to the city that David was in, Ziklag, t wiped everything out, took all the people off in hostage, and David went to the Lord, and the Lord said, go after him, you'll get him, he'll get everybody, and David went and had a great victory and saved everybody's lives. We're going to see this morning that Saul, as he loses, 
to the Philistines, and it's going to be defeat. It's going to be sad. We see a contrast between these two men. One, Saul, rejected by God. Now, let me remind you, he's rejected by God. That doesn't mean he lost his salvation, anything like that, because you can't lose salvation. When you believe in Christ or when you believe in the coming Messiah, as Saul did and believed in that, he's saved and saved forever. He's been rejected by God because he rejected God himself. He quit obeying God. He quit doing what God wanted him to do. We might say he got out of fellowship, and so God's rejected him from being the king. He's a man of the flesh. When we think about David, chosen by God to be the next king, he's a man after God's own heart. And when we look at David's life, we're going to see a lot of ups and downs. He's still a man after God's own heart, even when we see the downs. And we'll see that as we get into 2 Samuel. We'll see a little bit more. And so uh, there's some powerful things. In the last few weeks, we've seen the preparation. I mentioned a while ago that it's sort of gone back and forth. Uh, One chapter dealt with Saul, and then the next chapter deals with David, and then this chapter now deals with Saul. If you remember, the five kings of the Philistines had come together, and they're ready to march and to come together and defeat the Israelites. That's their plan. And I mean, they're coming together, all five at one time, which is very unusual. The the Israelites are knowing they're in trouble. Saul is the king, but you remember, Samuel is dead. There's no great leadership. Saul is not a great leader. David's living with the Philistines, so there's nobody there. So Saul can't get an answer from God because he's out of fellowship with God. So he goes to a witch, and he tells this witch if she would bring up Samuel from the dead. Of course, she can't do that, but... God brings Samuel up from the dead. The witch, when she sees it, she starts screaming, and there's Samuel. And Samuel actually says to Saul, why'd you wake me up? Why'd you do this? Why'd you bring me up? He said, because God wouldn't answer me, and I need to know what's going to happen. And so Samuel says, here's what's going to happen. You will lose the kingdom. You will lose the war with the Philistines, and you will be killed, you and your sons. Now, one thing about it, whatever Samuel said always came to pass because Samuel's a prophet of God. And that's exactly what he told him. You will lose the kingdom, you will lose the battle, and he will lose his life. And so this morning, as we look at chapter 31, it's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible because we see the nation of Israel there. It's a terrible time. And we'll see that they lose, and all of those things come true. Let me give you the outline for the passage. Israel's defeated. This is the the chapter 31. We see the battle with the Philistines. We see Saul dies. We see the Philistines take Saul's body. We'll see what they do with it. And then we'll see Saul's body recovered, and we'll see how that ties together. So this this is a a sad time, sad time in the history of the nation of Israel. Saul, could you imagine going to battle, knowing you're going to lose, knowing that God says you're going to die, and your sons are going to die, and you're going to lose the kingdom? And so it was amazing. We looked at that chapter several times ago that Saul just fell on his face, and he wouldn't eat, and they made him eat something, and he, he left. And that was really the last time we saw anything about Saul. So let's look at chapter 31. Let's look at the war. The five kings of the Philistines have come together. Do you remember that they actually, King Achish, one of the kings, asked David to go fight with him because David had been living with him for 16 months. David said, yes, but we don't know what that David meant because David said something like, you will see what I can do. We don't know whether he meant You'll see what I can do. I can attack you from behind and fight for the Jews, or, or he would actually fight. We don't know. But anyway, the Philistines looked at him and said, you can't send the Jews. We're not letting David come. So David didn't get to go. That's when we saw last week where David had to go fight that against the Amalekites to, to, to deal with them. So meanwhile, here comes the battle. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now, the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount 
Gilboas. Well, here's the battle. And the, the Philistines lose, I mean, the, the Israelites lose. It says Israel fled and they died on Mount Gilboa. Let me show you something. I've got this pointer. Uh, Brian's running the slides from behind because we're having some trouble with the machine. But um, th- this, th- there's Mount Gilboa where the real battle took place. There is a place called Megiddo. This is called the Valley of Jezreel. This is the northern part of Israel. That's the Sea of Galilee. You go down to the Jordan River. You go way down there. That's the Dead Sea. And Jerusalem is back over here. So Mount Gilboa is a mountain, and this is where they're fighting, and they're going to lose. The reason I just wanted you to see this, this is, this is a big valley. This is a big open space called the Valley of Jezreel. We've always heard about battles in the Bible, and everybody talks about the Battle of Armageddon. Well, Armageddon is actually two Hebrew words, Har-Megiddo. You notice here's Megiddo. Har means mountain, and Megiddo is this place. So Har Megiddo or Armageddon is the place where that final battle is going to be. It's going to be in the Valley of Jezreel. So anyway, this is where this battle is taking place now. And it says the Philistines are fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. So they're losing. They they they're they're getting defeated, and the victory, of course, goes to the Philistines. But God is in control. In our lives, sometimes things look like disaster. And we say, what's going on? Why did this happen here? Who took over here? What does this mean? And what we can say is, listen, we don't understand everything, but we got to trust God because our God works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is working his plan. He is going to bring to the end Saul, and eventually he's going to bring up David. And so we're going to see all of this. Look at verse 2. It says, The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkachoah, the sons of Saul. So it, here's the battle, and in verse 2, it says they killed Jonathan and the other sons. Now, I have to stop because I think Jonathan was one of the most important men in the Old Testament. There's not a whole lot about him, but he was David's best friend. He was a godly man. And when we read that he dies, he dies in the battle, it should make you sad. If you, if you do like me, now, when I study the Bible, I, I like I pretend I'm there, you know. And I look through this, and I see what happens, and I, I see Jonathan, who I think is great, he gets killed in the battle, and that's the end. Jonathan was a man who loved God and loved David. And I want you to understand something, that Saul was the king, and Jonathan was the son, and if Saul died, Jonathan should have been the next king. But God has already picked David to be the next king, and what Jonathan said was, David, if you're the king, I will serve you. Jonathan was that kind of man. He was a great man of God. And I, I, I think that uh, we realize that sin, the sin of people affects so many. We don't sin in a vacuum. What has Saul done? He's turned away from God. He's rejected God. He's tried to kill Jonathan. He's tried to kill David. He's done all these things. And ultimately, there are consequences, consequences for his sons, consequences for the whole nation. Look what happens while the battle's going on. <clears throat> the battle went heavily against Saul and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. So the battle's going on, and Saul, usually the king is not at the very front. Usually the king is toward the back, because that's how you directed everything, and the king, actually, in, a, in most countries, the way they looked at it, the king was the most important one. So if you kill the king, I mean, you got it. And so Saul is sort of back, but the battle's just going, and they're just overrunning everybody, and the archers are shooting, and we don't know where it hit Saul. They usually have all kind of armor, but whatever it was, the arrow hit Saul. It says the battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him. 
he was badly wounded by the archers. In the scripture, when it says somebody's badly wounded, it implies they're not going to live. I mean, they don't get badly wounded and say, I'm okay, I got it made. No, no, you're badly wounded and you're not going to make it. So he's not going to make it. He realizes that he's hurt and he's hurt badly. So look what happens in verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. Now there's a lot in that verse. And so what we see, first of all, is Saul tells his armor bearer to kill him. He is wounded and he knows he can't live. He doesn't want the Philistines to come to get him. Now notice what it says. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through with it. Otherwise these uncircumcised, uncircumcised means the enemy, the pagans, he calls the Philistines uncircumcised because they're pagans. He, they don't believe in the, in the true God. He says uh, that, that these uncircumcised, they will come pierce me through, they'll kill me, and they'll make sport of me. What does he mean, they'll make sport of himself? The Philistines were notorious for taking famous people that they captured and did things with them. If you remember Samson, Samson was one of the last judges. He was the next to the last judge before Samuel. And Samson was so strong, and he had all the hair, and he was called a Nazarite which, uh, not Nazarene, Nazarene is somebody from Nazareth. A Nazarite was a vow that you took, and he, he, was, he took a Nazarite vow from before he was basically born. His mom and daddy were told by God he'll be a Nazarite. That means he didn't drink wine, he didn't touch anything dead, and he never cut his hair. He never cut his hair. So he's this guy that's super strong, can pick up the walls of a city. He picks up a gate of a city, picks it up and carries it to a top of a hill. He whips all kind of people. He kills a thousand people with just one battle. And so he's famous. And But the Philistines, when they found out, when Delilah found out how, to, how he had his strength and she cut his hair, they got him. And what did they do to him? They poked his eyes out. And then they made him like an animal. They made him walk in a circle, crushing the grain. They made him do that. And if you remember at the very end of his life, they brought him into the temple at Dagon, which held 3,000 people, and they had him chained between two big poles to make fun of him because he's blind. And he asked God, give me strength one more time. And God gave him the strength, and he pushed the columns down, and the whole thing fell on, killed all 3,000 of the Philistines. So Saul knows He's heard the stories. He knows that the Philistines, if they get him, there's no telling what they're going to do to him. So he says to his armor bearer, go ahead and kill me because if they come and get me, they'll do all kind of bad stuff. But his armor bearer would not for he was afraid. What do you you mean afraid? What was he afraid of? Well, in Israel, the king was the anointed one of God. That's why David, when he had opportunities to kill Saul, he would say, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And so this armor bearer knows that Saul is anointed by God, and so he won't kill him. He says, I'm not going to do it. So what does it do? So Saul took his sword, and Saul kills himself. And I want you to think about Saul's life for a second. It it began, I mean, think about this. Saul began so well. And and he he became as a new man. And and victory, you remember, they picked him, and Samuel, uh, the the people came to Samuel and said, we need a king. And Samuel went to God and said, they don't don't really need a king. And God said, no, no, we're going to give him a king. And so they picked Saul. And Saul was taller than anybody else. He was a head taller. He was handsome. He was everything you'd want in a king. 
And the people said, boy, what a king. This is a great king. And he united the people. He became a new man. God changed him. He became a believer. He had victory. He united the people. He gained the victory, but he ended so poorly. He ended out of fellowship. The nation is all divided. He's been rejected by God. He has sin, and he's out of fellowship. And so what started so good ended so badly. And you think about our lives. How do we want our lives to end? Do we want to live with victory? Do we want to end and we say we were living for Jesus Christ? We want to hear our Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that what we want? We want our lives to count for Christ that you never know when your life is going to be over. I mean, you could die anytime and to be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. So at the moment you die, you're going to be in the presence of your Savior. That's going to be the most fantastic deal. But you're also going to stand in front of him and is he going to say, well done. Did you have great victory? But what, how could we end? We could end in a different way. We could end in defeat. We could be living for ourselves. We could be ashamed at his coming. We just did a study in, the, in our grow groups, um, you know, and it was on the vine and the branches and the idea of producing fruit and living in such a way that Jesus Christ would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me remind you, we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is a gift. It costs us nothing. It's not our goodness. It's not our righteousness. It's simply faith alone and Christ alone. We're talking about Christian life and living for the glory of God. And so are we going to have victory when we stand before our Savior and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is it going to be defeat in the sense that we live for self and we are ashamed at his coming? Well, look what happens. So Saul, the very end of verse 4, Saul took his sword and fell on it. Saul killed himself. Started great, ended badly. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. I think the armor bearer said, I don't have a chance. I mean, if they come here, they'll kill me. And I might as well kill myself rather than them kill me because no telling what they'll do to me. And so his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead. He fell on, the saw, on his own sword and died. It's a sad time. It's a sad time. In verse 6, sort of gives this summary. When Saul, then thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men on that day together. Now, that is sad. Saul dies. Now, it says three sons. By the way, Saul has another son that's not listed here. His name is Ishbosheth. What's he going to do? Where is he? What's going to happen to him in the future? We'll see when we get into 2 Samuel. So it says that he died, his sons, his armor bearer, and his men. You know what? We knew that. The Word of God is true. Once again, God's Word is always true. That's what they told was going to happen. That's what the Word of God told them. That's what Samuel told Saul was going to happen. So with that in mind, I want you to think about the Scripture for a second. What should we do? Since the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharpening to his sword, since the Word of God is always true and accurate, what should we do? We should study the Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God. A workman need not be ashamed. Handling accurately, rightly dividing the word of God. It is the responsibility of every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ as Savior to dig the word of God on our own. Listen, you, you, you're not going to get a whole lot from me just on 30 minutes once a week. 
Really? I mean, you can get stories, you know, the Bible, and we can take, go through the other books and things, but you've got to dig it yourself. You've got to get into the Word of God because it's alive and powerful, and you've got to study it where you can know it, and then, and then you're going to make application. As you study it, you say, what can I learn from this? How can I make application in my life? That's Philippians 4, 9. And then, ultimately, you've got to take what you know and pass it on. As Paul told Timothy, he says, take the things that you, I've taught you and entrust them, Timothy, to faithful people who will be able to touch others as well or teach others as well and that's what we can do the word of god is perfect listen at stillwater bible the foundation for everything we do is the bible that's why we're called stillwater bible church because the foundation is the word of god and just like we're studying and we see all of these things come to pass then it's exactly because that's what the word says well look what happened Verse 7, when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley with those who were beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. Now let me tell you something, that Saul was not a leader. You remember? Samuel is dead. He's the great leader. David is a great leader, but he's not there anymore. He's down with the Philistines. The only one left is Saul, and he's not a leader. And when they got ready for the battle, and the five, na- five different kings of the Philistines came together, many of the Jewish men ran off. Some went to the other side of that valley that we saw, the Valley of Jezreel. Some went all the way to the other side of the Jordan River and hid. And so when Israel gets ready to fight, they don't even have all their men. No wonder they lost. And notice what it says that when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley, the ones that didn't go fight, and those who were beyond the Jordan, the ones that actually went on the other side of the Jordan River and hid, when they saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled. They left their homes and ran off. And then the Philistines came and lived in them. Wow, what, what a mess. Saul, when they saw that Saul is dead, they fled, and the Philistines came and took their cities. You talk about a disaster. There is no king. There is no leader. They don't even have any homes anymore. They've been run out of their country all because of poor leadership. And I want you to stop and think about uh, uh, Saul's life and, and what, what, what it's like now. Think about this. It's the end of Saul's reign. The king is dead. His sons are dead. The nation has been defeated. The enemy is sweeping the land. And there's no leadership. Do you know what we'd say if we didn't know? We'd, we'd say, this is the end. But it's not. Because who's in control? God's in control. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. And sometimes in our lives, things come in there and we go, what is going on? And we have to say, Lord, I don't understand. But you are in control and I trust you. Do you understand that? Let me put the next slide up. The leadership affects everything. What was the nation like under Samuel's leadership? They defeated the Philistines. What's the nation like under Saul's leadership? They lost to the Philistines. What's the nation going to be like under David's leadership? They will defeat the Philistines. Leadership affects everything. Leadership in our country, leadership in our churches, leadership in our jobs, our businesses. Leadership affects everything. John Maxwell says... Everything rises and falls with leadership. Where's David? Where's David? 
You know, we could stop and say, well, I, who's the hero? Well, when Saul, they said, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his what? Ten thousands. Where's David? Where is David? He's down with the Philistines. We could say, this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. Well, look what happens. Look, the next day. It came back on the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain. They found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Well, they come. They come the next day, and this is what happens. A lot of times they'll have a victory. People will run off. They'll be tired. The next day they go out, and when they find all the dead bodies, they say, I'm going to get this guy's sword. I'm going to get this shield. They start getting all the stuff from the dead people, and they find Saul. Now, you could raise this question, how'd they know it was Saul? I mean, they might have known what Saul looked like. Who knows? But you know, the king usually had a crown. Usually had a crown. And maybe they saw the crown, or maybe the crown was gone. Maybe the, and we're going to see something that uh, what we've read today, when we look next time, we're going to see something different than we read today. If you want to read ahead, read Second Samuel chapter 1. See what happens there. Anyway, they came and they found Saul and his sons. And so they said, look, here he is. Here's the king. So you're getting the king, that's big. You want to get the king. You want to kill the king. That's what they wanted to do. So look what they did. They cut off his head and stripped off his weapons and sent them throughout the land of the Philistines to carry their good news to the house of their idols and to the, to the people. And they put his weapons in the temple of Asheroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. So what did they do? I mean, here's what they wanted to do. They, they said... Let's take his body, his head, his stuff. Let's take it to our gods. See, the Philistines believed their God gave the victory. You understand their God was, was called Dagon. He was a half fish, half man. You remember early in the study, I showed you a picture of what Dagon looked like. Dagon, starting the bottom, is like a fish. And it came up to about right here. And then it became like a person. And they had arms and hands. And this was their God. Half fish, half man. And when, the, when they stole the Ark of the Covenant early in the book, when we read it, they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in front of the statue of Dagon, and they came in the next morning, and Dagon had fallen over, so they had to pick their statue back up with their God. They came in the next day, he'd fall over in his hands, and everything had broken off. So they said, I, this is not good. I mean, you know, that's what they said. So bottom line is they thought their God was strong, and if they defeated the Israelites, they would say, our God is better than the God of Israel. And so what did they do? They cut off his head. They stripped his weapons. They sent them through the land of the Philistines. They put the weapons in the temple of Asherah. So let me show you what they did. They did three different things. They took Saul's weapons, and they took them to the temple of Asherah. That was a female goddess that they worshipped. It doesn't say in this passage, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 10, it says they cut off Saul's head and took it to their temple in Dagon. They took his head there. And then they took his body and put it on a wall at Bethshan. So here's a city. Now, I want you to understand, think about it. Most of the cities in those days, or a lot of the bigger cities, had a wall around the city. They take Saul's body and they nail it to the wall. It doesn't say here, but they also took his son's bodies and nailed them to the wall. Now, it doesn't have a head. Think about that. They took Saul's body without his head, nailed it up. The head was taken to Dagon in the temple, and his weapons were taken to Asheroth. So verse 9 again, they, struck, they cut off his head, stripped off his weapons, carried them through the land of the Philistines. Verse 15 says they put the weapons in the temple of Asheroth, and they fastened his body 
to the wall of Bethshan. Now, we could stop right there and say, this is, I mean, this is really gross, right? They killed Saul, cut off his head. Uh, one of the things that I read is they probably put his head on a pole and carried it around for a while before they took it to the temple of Dagon because they wanted everybody to see this is the head of the king of Israel. They took his body and nailed it to the wall. Now, watch what happens. Verse 11, now the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. All the valiant men rose, walked all night, took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Now we'll talk about the burning part in just a minute, but the men of Jabesh-Gilead got up in the middle of the night. It's about a 13-mile place from Jabesh Gilead to Bethshan, and they went all night, got to the wall, took Saul's body off and his sons off, carried them back to Jabesh, and then they burned them. Okay, now these were good. Here's why they did it. First of all, they said it's an embarrassment that Saul's body stuck to the side of a wall so people can laugh at it. And so also Jonathan and Meshua and Benadab and all them too, uh, Malchishua, is that we don't want their bodies left up there. Now, here's the question. Why would these men risk their lives? When most everybody's run off, why would these men risk their lives to go back? Well, if you remember, in 1 Samuel chapter 11, Saul had saved their lives. You remember these people were living in the city, and an enemy came and came into the city and attacked the city, and they sent word to the people of Jabesh-Gilead. They said, here's what we're going to do. We are going to kill every one of you, or if you surrender, we will come in and poke your right eye out. Every man will poke all the men's right eyes out. And you go, what? Because they have a shield. And if you have a shield, and most people are right-handed, so they had a shield. Well, if you can't see out of this eye, the shield blocks your view, so you can't really fight anymore. So they told the men of Jabesh Gilead, we're going to come in and either you surrender, and we'll poke all your eyes out, or we'll just kill y'all. So they said, could you give us a couple of days? to think about it, you know. And so they sent word, and this is right when Saul first became king. If you remember when Saul became king, he was, he was great. He did everything good. And they came running to him. People came to him and said, the men of Jabesh Gilead, they're going to get their eyes poked out. And he said, what? Everybody together. And Saul goes and defeats that enemy. These people always honored Saul because he saved their lives. This is why this group of people went all night long, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and he came to Jabesh and burned them. Now, why did they burn them? Well, they could have done a lot of things with it, but since they had been in the hands of the Philistines, they would say they're corrupted in one sense, so we're going to burn the body and take the bones and bury the bones because they've been among the uncircumcised. That's how they would look at it. So notice the very last verse. It says, they took their bones, buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. So let's think about Saul for just a second. Think about his life. He started so well, started well, he finished poorly. He, he did not trust God. He did not obey God. He was a man of great potential. And when we think about him, he was a man of the flesh and not faith. He started so well, but he, he, he ended so poorly. He rejected God. Now, once again, I want to remind you that Saul is a believer. And even though he rejected God, even though he didn't live right, even though he lived in the flesh, that didn't mean he lost salvation because you can't lose salvation. 
Whoever believes, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter when, whoever believes has eternal life. And so he's a believer, and yet he didn't live the way he should. Look, look at the things that Saul did wrong. You remember he at one time offered sacrifices? He wasn't supposed to offer sacrifices. He was the tribe of Benjamin, tribe of Judah. I mean, the tribe of Levi offered sacrifices. He comes in there and offers sacrifices, and that's when Samuel was alive. Samuel came and said, what do you think you're doing? You can't do that. He had a foolish oath. You remember he made an oath and said, if anybody eats any food until I say so, uh, will be put to death. And his son Jonathan was out fighting. He didn't know anything about it. Got some honey, ate some honey, and said, hmm, that's good stuff. And when they come in, they said, did anybody eat? And he said, yeah, Jonathan ate. And Saul said, we have to kill him. And the people said, no, we're not. That's a stupid thing to say. Foolish oath. He didn't obey God. He was supposed to kill the Amalekites. He didn't. He tried to kill David. He tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. He had Doeg kill the priest. You remember Doeg? Saul thought that the priest helped David when David was on the run, so he calls the priest in, and he says, you helped David. He said, I, I, I didn't know I was helping David. I was just doing what I always do. And so he told one of his men, kill the priest. And the men said, we're not killing the priest. So he looked at this guy named Doeg, who was not Jewish, and said, kill the priest. He killed 80-something priests and their families. He was evil, and Saul told him to do it. Saul went to a witch, a witch instead of God. We saw the big contrast. When Saul got in trouble, he went to a witch. When David got in trouble, he went to God. And then the last thing he did, he committed suicide. I have to say one quick thing about the suicide thing because I have a lot of people who are confused. I've had people come to me and say, is it true that if a person commits suicide, they automatically go to hell? I've had people say that to me. The answer is, of course it's not true. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, not whether you take your life or not. There are believers who get confused or take their life, but, but when you trust in Christ, you have eternal life. The reason I want to bring that up is years ago, I, I did a funeral for a young person who had killed themselves. The person I knew well, the person had believed in Jesus Christ, the person had eternal life. And so on, it was on, I think it was on a Friday or something that I did the, ceremony, the uh, funeral. I go home, I go to sleep, that night at 2 o'clock, I get this phone call. And I go, whoa, who could be calling? I answered it up, and this guy said, who do you think you are? I went, what? I, I think I'm JB. What, what, what? You know, who do you think you are? He said, who do you think you are? I came to that funeral today. You said that person has eternal life. We know that if you commit, uh, you know, commit suicide, you automatically go to hell. And I said, wait a minute, let's stop. And so at 2 o'clock in the morning, I explained to this person about the truth of eternal life and what it is. And so I just want you to understand, you may have heard somebody say something like, well, if a person commits suicide, they lose their salvation or it proves they weren't saved and all that. And listen, you put your faith in Christ, you're saved and saved forever. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Saul is saved and saved forever. Think about our lives. We have a great start. By faith in Jesus Christ. We're born again. We become a new creation in Christ. We got spiritual gifts. We got great potential. Got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We got the Word of God. We can live by faith, and yet we can sin. And sin brings discipline. So let me end this for showing you how, why did Saul die? First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 says he died because he did not obey God. He went to a spiritist, that means the witch. And he rejected God. And you understand, he rejected God, and then God rejected him from being king. That's different. So we, let's remember, as we look at this, that God is in control. He's working his plan. And David is going to be 
the next king. So let me give you some quick applications. And then, Brian, you're going to come up, aren't you? Okay. Uh, let's understand that God is in control in both victories and defeats. God gives the victory. God gave the victory of the Amalekites, and God allowed the defeat of the Philistines. Sometimes in our lives, we have things and we say, boy, this went so good. And then sometimes we say, this went so bad. And we say, why is this happening? Just remember, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things together for good, those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So just remember, God is in control. The second thing is this. Let's understand that God, let's understand, God deals with sin in our lives. He does. He dealt with it with Saul. That, that's why Saul ended up dying, is what it basically says. So first of all, I want you to understand, he loves us beyond what we can imagine. He loves us beyond. That's why Hebrews 12, 6, of whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. He disciplines us. What are we supposed to do? Confess sin. And if, if, uh, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Here's the third one, and let's base our lives on the word of God. We've already talked about that. The Word of God is true. It's accurate. Just studying the Old Testament, you see everything that God says comes true. So what should we do? Study the Bible, apply the Bible, and, teach, and pass it on. That's what we should do. Ask yourself a question. Do you have a time in which you are digging the Bible yourself? Are you taking the truths from the Bible and making application? And are you passing on truths to other people so they can know it and understand it? Here's the last thing. The last thing is let's base... Let us understand that each of our lives is going to affect other lives. The way that uh, Saul lived, a man of the flesh, it brought death and defeat to the nation of Israel. You think about David, the way he's going to live, he's going to be a man of faith, he's going to bring life and victory. Your life matters. Your life touches other lives. How you live. Sometimes people say things, it doesn't matter, it's just me, I can do whatever I want to, it's just me and God. No, it's not. Your life touches other lives, and how you live, how we live, and what we do is going to touch other lives. We saw it in Saul. So what should we do? What should we do? Well, we should use our gifts. We all got gifts. We should deal with sin in our lives, and last but not least, we should live in such a way that we'll be rewarded, and we'll hear our Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. Saul started great, ended poorly. We begin great, how are we going to end? We're going to end standing before God and him saying, well done? Or are we going to end standing before God and being ashamed at his coming? Let's don't be like Saul. Let's be like David.